We're so pleased that you've chosen to follow our Adopt Ed podcast. I'm Joe Sandegato, the Director of Communications and Public Relations for Mayor. And at Mayor, we believe the best way to help introduce the process of adoption from foster care is through education. Hence our cutesy little title of Adopt Ed. The theme for today's show is Mental Health Awareness Month. On our podcast today, we'll be discussing the various supports available for youth with mental health needs. We'll also have a visit later in the show from Mary Viano, the Associate Director for the Parent Professional Advocacy League, or PAL. Mary will share with us a bit about her agency's work in supporting youth and families. Without further ado, I'm excited to kick off the show with our opening segment called At the Table. Joining me at the table today is my co-host and child services coordinator for our Western Mass region, Maureen Albano. Welcome, Mo. Welcome. Thank you. How are you? I was you? hoping you'd invite me back. Uh, well, I mean, we're kind of a kind of an ongoing item now with uh, co-hosting the show from oh. from time to time, right? right? And here we are in May. Sun's out today. Anyway, beautiful. Yeah. I know it's been a rainy spring. It's been a very rainy spring. Been a yeah. rainy spring. Um, and so we've uh, talked an awful lot. So uh, Diane has also co-hosted, as you know, and we are here in May and we've we've had four prior podcasts and we've um, talked an awful lot about the process. You know, we talked a lot mm -hmm. about how, how do you get invested? How do you get involved? Yeah. Uh, what are the resources? You know, all of those pieces. Yeah. And so as we evolve this, um, we are moving forward in our education. And one of the things I, I thought uh, was very apropos because May is Mental Health Awareness Month, but also because many of our kids have backgrounds that might include um, some mental health or therapeutic needs. I thought it'd be good to talk about that yeah. and to offer some resources. So, um, you know, really when we talk about kids with with mental health needs it's one of the things that we uh, talk about in map class we talk about uh, talked about map in the past that's massachusetts approach to partnership in parenting uh, and we look at um, all the various ways that a child's background can possibly play out right so um, when we talk about mental health i really um, wanted to start talking about my own journey and um, and so one thing that i that i always remind everyone is your child's story is their story, right? It's not our story right. to tell. Right. Uh, so I just want to say, as I always do whenever I'm sharing stories about my kiddos, um, I'm, I'm very, very um, pleased and, and excited that my kids um, often will come out and share their stories. They are very invested in this work. They, Not everyone, but, but many of them have. And many of them have shared their stories and um, allow me to share their stories as a way to extend this work. So as I'm sharing stories today, just know it's with the permission and consent of, of my kiddos. But um, but I have uh, seven kids that have adopted from foster care, and we've dealt with um, a number of issues over the years. Um, and, uh, and so uh, when we talk about the needs and services here in the Commonwealth, I've been directly engaged uh, in some of these. And I started this process back in the late 90s, and the landscape for therapy and mental health services has changed an awful lot too, right? Certainly so, has, yeah. yeah, that's yep. that's a big, big piece of it. Um, so, so uh, with that in mind, I one of the examples I think that it's easiest to share, and the one that 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 relates the most to our topic today, because because he has such broad needs, is um, my son who came to me at four, and he had a pretty challenging background. Um, this is you know right around two thousand, so. Uh, we had evolved some in our understanding, but the alphabet soup was nowhere near what it is today. And I, yeah, I, I yeah. affectionately call 
um, all of the various ways in which we define mental health needs uh, alphabet soup because in, when you live in this world, it all becomes PTSD, RAD. It's all you know, letters. It's all the jargon. Yep. All the we'll demystify that today, but um, but but back then, it it was a pretty uh, similar diagnosis to the the way in which most children. Um, who who have needs when they're younger begin to participate in the system. So it was ADHD. You know, he was a kid who was yep. who was out of control. And um, and as he got a little bit older, we came to understand that um, he also um, had uh, autism, and it had previously been undiagnosed. And then there was just all kinds of all kinds of other stuff. But the but the good news is, and the reason I tell this story is that for a kid who. Um, had so much involvement with the mental health system, who was hospitalized numerous times, who was on a variety of different medications, who went through multiple uh, therapeutic modalities, and who just, by all accounts, was a kid who just was such a challenged kid. He is now 24. Yikes, 24! He finished a culinary program. He's now in college for business management. He's living independently in the community. He does have some supports um he's driving so you know i think a lot of times we we don't see full life cycle you know on these things and so i'm i'm in a position now where it's four to 24 i've got 20 years of of viewing this and if you ask me at various points in time during that process how i felt about it or or how i felt about um, addressing it or what i thought the the needs were that were being met probably would have told you a lot of different stories. I bet. I you bet. know, changed. so it changed during those 24 years, changed during probably those 24 years, yeah. his needs changed during yeah. those years. But the one thing that doesn't change, and I say this to every single parent, the investment that you make in a child will bring them far further than, um, than what they would have had if somebody didn't invest in them. Exactly. So regardless of what the needs are, and there are Lots of needs, right? It's that investment that mm-hmm. makes all the difference. So got that right. Yep. yep. So so um, yeah. So he's he's doing pretty well today. Um, and one of the things I think that let's start at the highest level, right? Not every child has extreme needs. You know, I've given you an example of extreme needs, yep. but um, but one of the things that that I think that we um, engage with and, and talk about as adoptive parents is transitional or ongoing therapy. You know, I think many kids, um, and perhaps from from your experience too, you can think of some kiddos. But I think you know it's always uh, a topic of discussion. I mean, if we think about the process of going through foster care, and you know, moving into adoption and transitioning families, that's a that's a lot of change. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it certainly is. Yeah. Leaving bio family, moving to foster family, mm-hmm. from foster family to pre adoptive family. And doing this numerous times, you know, Some for, of them. for many kids, mm-hmm. yeah. Leaving one foster home to another foster home to yeah, another and foster home. Some kids. And learning, like you said previously, before we even came on the air, but, you know, in learning, 18 sets, of, if you've been in eight, 18 foster homes, you have learned and have had to accept 18 sets of rules that were set in yeah. each of those homes. Yeah, that's so. a big, that's a huge piece. Yeah. You know, I think, and, and so the story that I shared was in, within context to my, um, to, to one of my adoptees. And when you've, when you've been given all of these different expectations, you know, even for um, the most resilient, well-intended, rule-following child, you still have a number of different sets of rules kicking around in your head. And that may be potentially very different than the child who grows up 
in a household continuously with the same parents who might have a fairly consistent set of rules. Right. Even if even if the multiple rules were good, were, were well-intended, were right. great, they're right. still different. They're different. It's you know? a change. It's just another change a that lot. they'd have to accept and absorb. Yeah, so it's right. it's a lot. So, so that transitional or ongoing therapy is important. Uh, oftentimes, it'll be part of a conversation that you might have with your social worker that uh, a child may be coming from a home where they're already engaged in therapy. A lot of kids, I'm sure you see with your caseload, kids who might be engaged in therapy already because they're they're moving to the adoption track. Right. 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 Yeah. So so I would say that first and foremost is important for people to consider. And um, I have kiddos who uh, stayed in therapy well beyond that because there were other issues that came out and other things that they needed support for. And then I have kiddos who once they were transitioned, they were transitioned and they were fine. Um, And the other thing I will say about therapy is that uh, like anything, people plateau, kids plateau, adults plateau. Uh, I think back to some of my younger kids, they needed transitional therapy and then we were out of therapy, but then they get a little bit older and new stuff came up and as new stuff came up, then we might've re-engaged, right? So it's a process that is not necessarily linear. You can jump in and out of it. And and did you as a family also participate Mm -hmm. in the therapy? So it wasn't just uh, a one-on-one with the child and the therapist. Yeah, there there are a lot of different models and um, and, and perhaps a lot of different opinions on the part of parents and and what they like. I'll tell you what I like is I like a model that includes the family. My model also included biological connections in some cases. So meaning that... Ongoing therapy, um, it, well, let me lay it out for you. The easiest way to do it is explain it. Yeah. Okay. So there's there's a couple of different models of therapy, but a really participatory model is often important. Um, I think for any family, but especially for families who are new to being together, it's important for the therapist to understand uh, the differences in, the, in how your family may um, perceive things versus how the child, um, you know, perceives things based upon their background. We talked about all those different homes and right. So I, this family engagement piece um, is important. And the way that it always played out for me was the child would meet with the therapist, but I would also, you know, my family would, we would do it as a family sometimes, or it would be a parent, uh, you know, who was there mm-hmm. would meet with the therapist so that the therapist got a really well-rounded perspective of what was going on. Certainly the child through their lens has a particular perspective. And as an adoptive parent, I had a particular perspective. Right. Um, and the therapist was sort of like the, the central hub who took in all the lenses and then was able to reflect on it all. We also included, I mentioned bio parents. In one case with some of my sibs who share a parent, we were actually able to do parent visits in a therapeutic setting. Wonderful. So the therapist yeah. also got to meet the biological parent, and that's another lens, and that's a lens that therapists might not often see, right? Yeah. So, so the better their picture of the landscape, the better they can provide resources and, and help to guide, you know, the children right. through it. So, so for me, that's how it played out. Some people may have a model where the child goes in alone, and you know, maybe they speak briefly with the therapist. Some some are more invested, but I always like the family therapy model. To me, that always seemed. I think so too. All inclusive, so everybody has a, a chance to share. Yeah. You know, um, what their expectations are, you know, maybe we're setting expectations too high and too soon. Right. So everybody has their own outlet. Yeah. yeah. So I Great. think it's I think it's good. Um, and so when you're when you're doing therapy, um, th- one of the things that comes up, and especially you know in in other episodes, we'll we'll get into you know sort of uh, school interventions and, and that kind of stuff, but. The term uh, DSM or DSM number, 
um, comes up and DSM in the therapy world refers to the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. And what that means um, is that there is a number that corresponds to different diagnoses. I never knew that. Yeah. And the reason it's important is when accessing services, especially uh, school-based services, this is important for uh, individualized education plans, IEPs, right? Um, the needs that get met are based on a particular diagnosis and that carries a particular code with it and so forth. How you get support is oftentimes based on how you are diagnosed. Uh, and certain diagnoses qualify you for certain things in the therapeutic support world, and certain ones, uh, you know, may have different kinds of support. So, this like, is like what? Give, a, give me an example. Yeah. So, so what, when we talk about, so we're talking really about psychological evaluations, and you know, that's a part of many uh, people's journey is they're um, working through things like IEP plans, for example, right, right? or right. seeking treatment from community resource providers. A nice solid psychological evaluation is important because it uh, helps to. I, I want to use the right terminology. I, um, I want to. I wanted to say it helps to map the brain, but that's not right. It helps to figure out how the person who's being tested interfaces with their environment, and the reason that that's important is because. When you are providing services, if you have an executive function disorder, which is, uh, think about that as uh, like a computer and the way you file things in a computer. If you don't have a, a file system that works where you can put stuff into a folder and then go back and pull it out easily, that's kind of like executive function. That's making it super, super basic. But sometimes it's a, it's a matter of um, teaching how to file and how to retrieve files. Sometimes it's a matter of having accommodations because you can put something in a file, but then you aren't able to pull it back out, right? Those, or you can't figure out what file you put it in. That's me. Okay. What file you put that? That's a different conversation. Okay, all right. I have that too. That's another IT problem. That's a <laughs> I don't mean to reduce it to that, but but I try and always find a way to explain stuff so that it's relevant and, yeah. and that it makes sense, right? So I get that. So so there's an example of something. So um and so executive function is a particular thing. ADHD is its own mm -hmm. thing. You know, we'll we'll get into some of this. Um, but it's really a standard classification of mental disorders used by health professionals. Um, I did already talk about um, ADD and ADHD, um, and that's uh, attention deficit attention deficit disorder or attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Um, I think you tend to see a lot more ADHD today, in my opinion. In the old days, I used to see a lot more ADD. Um, but this is not just foster kiddos. I mean, this is a pretty common diagnosis for many kids today. They, they tried to convince me years ago my son was ADD, had ADD. Yeah. Uh, um, and but then we decided he was just going to be an actor when he grew up because every day was different. Play to your strengths. Yeah, yeah, that, that was it. That I 100% will tell you that with, I am not a clinician. None of this is being, neither of us are clinicians. No, we should, should have started at the very beginning by saying this. We're just hoping to share information that people might find helpful or relevant. But, um, but as a non-clinician, and I'm very invested in this world over the past 20 years because in order for me to best you know, serve my kids, I also wanted to understand what it was, sure. and that's just how yeah. I am. Um, yeah, I have ADHD for yeah. sure, 100%. Uh -huh. um, the good news is 
Um, when uh, so my so I always tell the story about how my first two that I adopted were four and nine. They came as siblings, and my last two came to me at four and almost nine. They were almost the same age, right? The difference in having both of my four-year-olds had ADHD. But the first one was diagnosed with ADD, and it was a big naughty thing. We didn't talk about it. Oh yeah. Doctors didn't want to prescribe meds. It uh -uh. was uh, it was really very very taboo. Um, and we, by the way, coming out of the '90s, we were very resistant to medication therapy. Very resistant. Um, and I meet a lot of parents who felt the way that we used to express ourselves, and we used to say you know, there was a lot of turmoil, let's get things settled, let's, you know, really kind of see where everything falls, let's get through the honeymoon, and then the honeymoon turned into one year, two years, three years, yep. four Long years. Long honeymoons, yep. And the way that the medical community and therapeutic community was responding changed, so we began to understand that um, with caution, and, you know, everyone can certainly have their own opinion, this is my opinion, with caution, with investment and understanding and making sure that you're making the best choices on behalf of your child. Medication, I've seen amazing things happen because of medication. So uh, I say that because when, when we went through it some 15 years later, 16 years later, yeah. both four-year-olds, ADHD was like, you know, I had a relationship with a doctor where I was able to say, here's what I'm seeing. You know, it's a pediatrician I had for all of my kids. Yeah. And so my new little guy started going. And so by age five, about a year in, I said, we're having some problems in school. I'm seeing a lot of these, you know, particular characteristics. We talked about it. We said, let's keep an eye on it. And then three months later, we were in for something, a bit, you know, some checkup of some sort or probably a shot or, or yeah. something. And, and so my doctor said, you know, what do you think? We had this conversation and I said, you know that I'm not big on medication. So one thing that's that's interesting is that although I am an advocate now for medication when it makes sense is uh, I personally am not big into medication, so I'm very cautious. So they they have an assessment. So we did the I use the assessment tool, we continued our conversation and he said, "You know what? Yeah, I think." He said, "I trust your judgment because we've done this with so many other kids, right. but beyond right. that, all the markers are there. Let's try." We tried it. I kid you not. My son came home from school and said, Dad, I was able to read today. I was able to focus on my work. I was able to, you know. You're kidding. So wow. immediately noticeable. Staff reported the same. You know, th when you do this, there's a, there's, there's a lot of uh, eyes on all, right. all of this process, right? right? Uh, but everybody reported the same. We got the dosage right. And he is absolutely level focused. I mean, you can tell. When he first gets up in the morning before he has his medication versus when So he's still he, on this. He is, yeah. And probably will be for a while. I don't know if he will be forever. I've had, um, so some of my kiddos did some medication therapies for a short while, and some of them um, have some medications for life. Yeah. Just, you know, when there is, one thing that I learned is when there's missing brain chemistry, you know, when there are certain uh, chemical processes that are lacking the chemicals to complete the processes, those are the kinds of things that I came to understand. There is no amount of love, nurture, redirection that's going to fix that. There are other things for which medication simply are, uh, provides a tool to teach. So uh, very successfully, um, you know, a few of my kiddos who might have been on ADHD meds came off once they were able to slow down enough to learn the, how to direct their activities how to and then went on to not use it for the rest of their mm -hmm. life but had learned the processes so sometimes medication can help 
get you in a frame of mind and positioned so that you can learn the things. But right? sometimes it's, it's sometimes your own it's a brain chemistry. Yeah. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it yeah. isn't. So so ADHD can be treated with medication. Um, you know, kids with ADHD as a diagnosis full normal lives, full productive lives. As a matter of fact, more productive lives in some cases. Um, if you take the example of my son, um, part of his deficiency was that he was uh, very neglected um, when he was younger. So he was nonverbal. He hadn't, uh, you know, by age four was fairly nonverbal, didn't know how to read, um, really hadn't gotten those kind of basic life skills that many kids get at a pre-K level. And so while having to deal with ADHD on top of that, it was just very hard to play catch up. After that, it leveled him out and he was able to catch up and pretty much is at grade level, you know, by grade three, by grade two probably, you know, and, and into grade three, pretty much at grade level yeah. and focused and notices the focus. Mm -hmm. um, but it's ironic that we, that we're having this conversation because just yesterday we were coming back from karate class and um, so that's something new for him and he loves it. And karate is, um, you know, it it's a physical thing to do which is good, right? right? We always say, get your wiggles out. Yep, yep. It's getting a little old for that, but he still says it. Yeah, yep. But it also teaches you mindfulness. And so one of the questions he had was, do you think karate will help me like medication helps me? And I said, I absolutely think that that's the case. You know, I think that that will ultimately play into that same kind of skill set, right? And, um, and so it's interesting that that he's very included in the process. He understands what it does. I've always made sure the kids, you know, kind of understood it. But it's it's important and it's helpful. And you know, we see a big difference. So, Wonderful. yeah. So they've all participated in karate. No, all not all, no, not all karate. No. Different things. Sports. Oh my God, we've yeah. had football, um, football, track, soccer. Uh, basketball, baseball, karate. I mean, all right. you know, just okay, all right. Music. I thought karate was the only activity no. or sport. No, no, but this say. is his. This is the, he. Yeah. He found this and likes it probably better than uh -huh. anything. We've tried yeah. gymnastics and we've tried you know all kinds of things, yeah. but karate seems to be his thing. That's the so. quick. Good. Um, uh, so moving on. Um, do you know reactive attachment disorder? You know from your uh, kids' caseloads. Yeah. I mean, you know what it, yep. it means. Yep. So yep. RAD, R A D, means reactive attachment disorder. What do you know about it? Uh, all I know is it's scary. When people see it, they run. And then all of a sudden, you see current up updated information come in on a particular child and go, oh, this kid doesn't have RAD. You know, it's right. been misdiagnosed. And, yeah. and I don't know. I mean, I'm kind of, I don't know where it falls yeah. and, and how do you diagnose it and what's it look like in a kid. It's yeah. But all I know is it's labeled people, as a scary people diagnosis. People feel scared of it. Yeah. yeah. So I think, so reactive attachment disorder, even when you're dealing with it um, firsthand, my experience is that it's not that scary, but you need to know what it is and you need to know what to do with it. Mm -hmm. And what makes it scary is if you treat it the wrong way. So reactive attachment disorder is a rare condition um, that occurs when infants and children who are subject to extreme neglect or abuse fail to establish that bond. So a typical nurturing bond is, you know, um, child cries, child, uh, child is met by parent with bottle, child drinks bottle, you know, child gets sleepy, right? And, and it's, it's sort of, a, right, yeah. and soothed uh -huh. and, and, you know, uh, child cries, mother or father picks up child, yeah. you know. When an infant is neglected, they they don't have that expectation. So it often happens at infancy, it can happen later, but it often happens at infancy. 
Um, a child with RAD, uh, which is diagnosed typically between nine months and five years of age, um, re rarely seeks or responds to comfort when restressed. So what that really means is that they also have unexplained episodes of irritability, sadness, fearfulness, whenever they have contact with caregivers. Here's what it meant for me. A child who came into my home who had RAD was not a child that I was going to hug. So one thing that, that we decided was very important to our family was that we wanted our children to have physical bonding and physical connecting. But for a child with RAD, that doesn't do anything. So what's interesting is one of my kiddos is, is absolutely um, uh, you know, someone who has reactive attachment disorder, who, who gives hugs and says, I do it for you. I know it's important and it makes you feel good, but oh, it doesn't empathy. Yeah. So even for a kid who who doesn't get anything out of it, yeah. and I can't imagine not getting something out of a hug because that's me. That's yeah. how I feel. I'm, you know, that's a need. Yeah. That's a need that gets met for me. Well, you're Italian. That's why. Right, big huggers. Right. <laughs> me too. But but the the whole um, idea is that for a kiddo with rad, there's no emotion attached to the thing. Yeah. So they're not yeah. seeking it. Mm -hmm. And in the absence of it, the things like the irritability and sadness or fearfulness that oftentimes would be soothed by those kinds of physical interventions or by someone paying attention to you has nothing to to compare it to. So so that's where the, the RAD comes in. So what I say to parents if you're dealing with reactive attachment disorder is just understand the kid's boundaries. Um, and in our case, what happened was my child saw that our family behaved a particular way and wanted to emulate it even though it wasn't important to them because they realized it was important to somebody else. And as you said, empathy. that's teaching empathy. empathy. Mm -hmm. It's important, yeah. right? So how do they soothe themselves then? I mean, if, if physical contact yeah. is not uh, what they need or... It's tough. They've got to they've got to find a way, and this is where therapy comes in, right? Yeah. This is one of those things you can work on in therapy, because okay. um, right. because it could be anything. It really, you know, the one thing I've learned about <clears throat> excuse me therapeutic intervention is it can be anything. It can if you have a really good therapist, um, you know, art therapy can be very uh, important. As a matter of fact, we have a whole display going on um, during the month of May at Boston City Hall. Um, where we have um, kids from the Heart Gallery who put together these wonderful art projects, and they're working through art therapy as they're helping to tell their story, and, and you know, so there's all kinds of ways in which you yep. can do it. But, um, but so rad. Don't be scared of it. You know, mm -hmm. just know what it is. Um, all of these things have a, a huge web presence. Lots of stuff to read. You can read it in the DSM. Um, but really, um, don't be afraid of it. Um, PTSD is another one. You know, PTSD. Oh yeah. What, what do you think about that? Disorder. Um, again, I see a lot of it. Um, I know it's brought on by trauma early in life. Um, but I guess it can look like any, I mean, there's a various types of trauma that kids can be exposed to and then Lots. have reaction. Yeah. Um, so do you remember where it came from? Do you remember when we first saw it? Wasn't related to kids. Oh, Do you probably remember veterans, huh? Yeah, people coming back from war. Yeah, yeah. and so, so it's a mental health condition that's triggered by a terrifying event, yeah. as we can imagine war would be, but so too are some of the trauma events that children mm -hmm. experience in their homes, um, either experiencing it or witnessing it. Symptoms can include flashback, nightmares, severe anxiety, as well as uncontrollable thoughts about the event. Um, and people who go through PTSD and go through traumatic events, uh, or I'm sorry, who are diagnosed with PTSD who have gone through tra um, traumatic events, 
sometimes have temporary difficulty adjusting and coping. Uh, but the good news is with good self-care and some time, they usually get better. Um, if symptoms get worse or if they last for months or years or interfere with day-to-day -day functioning, you know, then that's something that really should be treated. It should be, you know, there should be a plan in place. Uh, I have worked through this one as well. I can tell you that there can be very, very good outcomes. But um, care plans, you know, the shortest care plan in my own personal experience is probably a couple of years. And there are, there's one care plan that is probably going to be lifelong because the trauma was that big. Yeah. And, um, but again, not, you know, so I don't, I don't ever want to reduce anything to my perspective or my perception. But what I do want to do is let people know that I've, I've had a lot of time with this and I get to, um, see both sides. Do you remember the old Joni Mitchell? song both sides now yeah. i looked at yep. life from both sides now yeah. right so that that song is about um, is that the name of the song both sides now was that the one with the clouds yes. in the sky or clouds clouds clouds. clouds i always thought it was clouds i've looked at you know. clouds from yeah. both sides now. right what's interesting is that i'm at this place where i um looked at it from the lens of being a prospective parent i looked at it from the lens of going through it and now i'm looking back at it through the lens of having gotten through it right and so, and so that's why I happen to be listening to Joni Mitchell this morning, but it's a good oh, reference. Yeah. Her song is about, I've looked at clouds from the ground up, but I've also been in a plane and looked down at clouds and how different they are. And I've looked at life from both sides both now. Sides. I've looked at it from when I was younger and as I'm older and I've, you know, um, I think that one thing that I, that I do like to share is that yes, these things can be difficult, but, but we shouldn't be scared of them to the point where we don't want to investigate it. Um, and PTSD is another one of those things. Great, you can have great outcomes. You know, anything you pay attention to, anything that you put effort into is always going to be better than something you ignore. Exactly. And yeah. you can have good outcomes. Um, in this vein, um, God, this is almost like a, a list, and this is not a list that I developed from my own, in, you know, interaction with kiddos, <laughs> but as I go through it, I'm realizing it's that. Uh, oppositional defiant disorder. Have you bumped into that? ODD? Oh, my daughter had ODD. No, I'm oh. just making that up. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, some yeah. days it was like that, especially during her <laughs> teenage years. Of, well, yeah. that's a good way to think about it. Uh -huh. oh. uh, but it's different. And yeah. here's why it's different. It's a child who really displays an ongoing pattern of angry or irritable mood. And we're not talking about we expect it in the teen years. Of There's course. lots going of on course, in the teen years. Yeah. But, you know, when you're six-year-old is defiant and argumentative or vindictive against people of authority you know those kinds of things that's very very different um, and the other thing to keep in mind is with ODD that behavior often interrupts the normal daily activities so that's within the family at the school it's um, it, it's hard to tell the difference between adjusting and ODD this is why I always think therapists are so important you know having Women professionals again. just Adjusting. the kind of kid who is being defiant because it's something new okay and the kind of kid who truly has ODD and the difference is the length of time and the amount of time and with a child with ODD you've got to do some work yeah. and it's just very different than redirecting or I mean this is well, a very deep can be hard for yeah for, for everybody yeah and every child at every age so I can see where there's a difference and transitioning is one thing a hundred percent and and so some of this stuff I don't recommend you know personally I'm not a clinician I am not giving professional advice in that capacity but I We've experientially yeah. mm -hmm, don't don't believe in doing any of this real extreme testing until you're kind of 
in, involved in each other's lives for a little while. You know, the therapy for sure, but when we start talking about psychological testing and really starting to qualify some of this stuff, you kind of have to get through the honeymoon and let the dust settle a little bit. And, you know, and, and it happens over time. Um, how about anxiety disorder? Oh, That's not boy. just our kiddos. What do you know about that? Me? Yeah, anything? <laughs> a whole lot. <laughs> a whole lot. Um, yeah, I think we all feel... I mean, we all feel anxious. I mean, when you're you're doing a presentation, when, you know, you're just in, everybody has social things that they're inept about. So sometimes Mm -hmm. being in a large group or social gatherings, but I think, and that's, it's fine to be anxious. I I mean, everybody, that's expected. Yeah. I mean, but I think when it's perpetual, it's something that you're living with day in and day out. That's very different. That's very different. And there's, and so um, if I go way, way back in my career when I worked for Cigna Healthcare, one of the things that we did was a lot of community programming and and health education. And we used to do this particular program that talked about stress that motivates versus stress that hurts you. Mm. So stress that motivates is you should be a little bit nervous if you're in a new environment, if you're starting a new job, if you're standing up in front of people. That kind of stress helps to keep you on your toes. But if you feel that way in normal, in situations where average people would have a response that's less anxious, that's a problem. And that's really what we're talking about. Anxiety disorder, um, you know, everyone feels anxious now and then. It's a, it's a normal emotion, of course. right? You yeah. don't want to be flattened out to the point where you feel nothing because it's, it's the yin and yang well, of yeah, life, right? Yeah. Seeing anxiety it sometimes is good because... It's kind of what if you're driving and the car in front of you jacks on their brakes, you should feel anxious at that moment. That keeps you alive. Right. 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 That's good. That's good. Um, I like that alive part. Yeah. Because (laughs) if you didn't react that way. Wow. Yeah. Or or when you're dealing with a problem at work, something unexpected happens and you get that, you know, that rush of of anxiety, panic. Some people might say panic or, you know, Mm -hmm. that's that's important. But when this behavior um in especially you know in this anxiety disorder group um, and there's a group of mental illnesses really that cause distress and keep you from functioning normally yeah. so panic disorder social anxiety disorder um, specific phobias or fears you know um, that may be rational or irrational mm-hmm. um, in generalized anxiety disorders um, people who have one um, worry or fear and they're constantly overwhelmed by it you know it can be disabling yeah so um, with treatment though People can manage these things well. You know, it's yeah. important to remember that that there may be kiddos who experience this and um, and that that can be overcome just like anything else. Mm-hmm. So um, this is a, a pretty big topic. I'm sure you've you've seen this, but depression uh, and I don't want to minimize yeah. it. But OK, what I can't figure out is mm-hmm. say you have a couple sad days. Yep. You know, uh, and you really can't pinpoint it to a special thing that's happened. Right. But there's a few days when you feel down, blue, and you're waiting to get out of the funk. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So what's the difference between that and depression? Or, yeah. you know, and and we we see this in kids so often, and we we don't know whether to how serious to take right. it. Um, is it just a mood? You know, sadness brought on by. I'm. Yeah. triggered by something or uh, is it long term is it long term and i think that's the difference um if we th- let's think about the life of a child in care okay. i think i learned a long time ago i had this meant this great mentor in college who um 
always said, consider the position of the other. And that's a, a life skill that I've carried forward in, in all of my work. So that means if, um, you know, politically you're a Democrat, consider the position of the Republican. If you're, you know, a particular gender, consider the opposite gender, if you're whatever, right? So it's yeah. this idea yeah. that you, but also, you know, put yourself in the position of the, the person you're considering. Mm -hmm. Think about that, right? So I think about if There's I- There's that word empathy again. Yeah. Yeah. Empathy is important. Uh -huh. But if I put myself in the position of a child and I think about where they're coming from or where they've come from, remember- for many families, adoption is a joyous event. It's a day to get to, and it's a wonderful thing. But what I always remind people of is that for you to have your happy moment, a child must break up with their family. A child must have, you know, would have to be unplugged and, and lose something in order for this process to have a gain. And, and that's the reality. You know, I don't say that judgmentally. I don't, but, but that's the reality, right? So an, a Makes loss sense. creates a gain. So if we put ourselves into the mind of a child, and especially for, for depression, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, you gotta think about, is it environmental? You know, um, think about a child who left their biological home, has been in a foster home for quite some time. Um, unfortunately, mom and dad, or mom or dad, aren't um, able to reunify, right. right? They've not taken the steps or been able to complete the work that would allow their family to reunify. Child has been, thinking about reunification and now is thinking about adoption and now we're in the adoption process and um, while they depending upon a variety of factors may be further along in their mindset than than other kiddos right you still have to think about the the whole process so if i'm that kid i'm with mom and dad things aren't going well somebody came in oh whew, somebody's come to help yeah. there's a family who's taking care of me while mom and or dad are getting work done right. so that we can all live together again. Okay, now we're not going to live together. Now, the family that I'm with, I may or may not stay with. If I don't stay with, now I have, you know, I'm going to meet another family. I mean, I think I would, I think I would have some days that aren't feeling the greatest. Yep. I think it would be pretty Talk about funk, normal, huh? Being right? in a funk, yeah. So, so. I bring that up only because of the point that you made. I think, especially when we're talking about kids on the adoption track, yeah, they're gonna. There, there will be some days, but what we're talking about with depression, and I'm not trying to minimize it. There is a whole body of work around depression, but really, most fe people feel sad or depressed at times, and it's a normal reaction to loss or life struggles. I mean, that's just that's the way it goes. But when you have a lot of intense sadness, when you really, you know, feel hopeless and helpless and worthless, and it lasts for days and weeks, and you don't want to go out, and you don't want to engage with people, and you don't that's that's very different right um, but the good news is clinical depression is a treatable condition right so yeah. like many things it's treatable right. um, also in depression uh, includes bipolar disorder do you know anything really about bipolar disorder well I think those are the mood swings like if you're yeah extreme yeah exactly depression could then quickly lead to mania yeah. right they call it manic yep, right manic. so manic depressive is how we used to call the the disease yeah um, you know where you're funky, 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 and then you're up, 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 right. and then you, but it's, we all can be up, 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 and have bad days, but it's not a big cycle that just keeps swinging, right. like and we have things in between. My are a little more, not as, the valleys aren't as deep. Yeah, and, the yeah, peaks aren't peaks as high, high, the valleys yeah. aren't as deep, so, um, so this is, you know, bipolar is uh, a manic depressive illness, which is a brain disorder that causes unusual shifts in mood, energy, activity levels, and the ability to carry out day-to-day -day tasks, so... 
Um, so this is just, this is the tip of the iceberg. Um, so today the, the DSM that we talked about earlier is the five DSM five. The most recent version has about 297 diagnoses in it. Mm -hmm. Um, and we've covered just a tiny bit. Yeah. Um, but later in the show, I'm going to be joined by Mary Viano from PAL and we'll discuss those needs further. And, um, and so I guess to conclude this piece a little bit, um, is to say, what do you, what do you think, you know, with your almost 20 years at mayor, what do you what are your impressions of of how resilient children can be uh, you know having talked about all of this today mm -hmm. what do you what are your thoughts what do you typically see and and what um, what do you think the outcomes are like I know you plug yeah. into some kids longer than others but but really yeah. how has it played out for you in your recruitment work well I mean <laughs> The children I see most, because I focus on them most, are probably our older kids. And and they all seem to have a universal desire, of course, for love and acceptance. Right. But, you know, I also see in them a fear of being disloyal to birth family or a fear of changes that they're going to have to face. Um, and, of course, all these unknowns that's going to come with it in you know, these fears, I, I'm just thinking of myself. If I, and again, that's empathy. I'm trying to right, put myself right. in their place. But there are, there's fear of losing their siblings, um, members of their birth family that they've been, aunts, right. uncles, cousins that they've been clearly associated with for years, um, losing their friends when, um, whenever this new change, every time there, there is a change, right. this is going to happen, a uh, change of schools, um, maybe a change of their primary language um, is sure. going to disappear. Right. Their culture, you know, um, unless somebody makes a special point or is of their same culture, they're going to lose their culture, which means their traditions, the foods they eat every day, mm -hmm. um, celebration of holidays. Um, you know, families have traditions. All those traditions are going to be lost right. from birth family right. or, or from pre-foster families. So, um that's why I think it's so important that whether you're a foster family or an adoptive family, think of these things. Try to bring in sure. the child's culture with them into your home. Um, things in their past, <clears throat> right? You know the clothes that they like. Don't don't you know? Don't head into uh, the Gap and have them. You know, all of a sudden wear this certain style that you like, and you know, and right. when that's not their style, that's just not who they are. Keep them who they are. They bring to you and your family into your home, a whole new perspective for no, that's you. True. But it's so much who they are, and they're losing so much. At least let's let them keep their yeah, yeah. personal identity and hopefully part no, of their I, culture too. I agree. And yeah. I think that, that also gets back to an earlier point that we made. If you can start them on a, the healthiest baseline possible, then all this other stuff is just going to be easier to deal with yeah. because you're not going to be adding to it, right? I, I mean, that's that's super right. important. Um, and I will tell you right now, the one thing I can say is a kid who was adopted from foster care, um, continue with mass health coverage and have access to the care and services they need. And um, and the other thing that I always remind parents is kids are resilient. Are. And you, yeah. I tell every parent what I've said probably 50 times already today, but that is that the thing you pay attention to will have a far better outcome than the thing you don't. So no matter where you start from, paying attention to something is just going to make it better. Right. Right. So important. Yep. True. So true. So do you think we need a vocab lesson? No, today? absolutely not. I think I'm, we, um, this saturated. was a vocab lesson. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I'm told my brain is, is saturated. Um, 
So I think we're good today. Let's think about this. Okay. And, All right. Um, you know what I do think? I think for families who are interested in adoption, they should come to an event, mm-hmm. um, and go onto our website to to see what's happening around the state, not just in the Boston area, but I mean from the north of Boston, south, east, west, yeah. central. Right. Uh, look to see what's happening. Go to our website, which is mayorinc.org. Check out all our social media outlets like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, um, or just give us a call. All right. 617-964-6273. Well, great. Thank you, Mo, for another stimulating and educating conversation. I'm glad we have an opportunity to share our information and experiences with others. It's important to to know that you're not alone when you're engaging right. as an adoptive or right. foster parent. And I hope that our listeners know that, um, you know, we really understand what they're going through and we hope that we can be a voice of uh, acceptance in their lives and understanding and provide resources. But I appreciate you. Thank you for spending time with me. Thank you. I appreciate you too. Great. Well, we'll be right back with a few waiting children right after this short break. Be right back. And now it's time to introduce you to some of our waiting children. Today we'll learn about Damon and Carmela. Probably a good time to remind our listeners that they can find information about either of the children at our website, mareinc.org, by clicking on the Meet the Children tab and entering their registration numbers. So Mo, we have a couple of kiddos to present today. Who do you have for us first? Da 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 da! We got Damon. And his registration number is 4193. Damon is age 13, and he says that he has a great sense of humor. <laughs> we have a great video of Damon. I think he does have a good sense of humor. Is it a video? Uh, There's on, a video as well. Also? Yeah. Okay. I got yeah. it. I haven't seen it. I'll have to go okay. and look at it now. Um, but Damon is loving and affectionate. He's of African-American and Lebanese descent. Great. He can seem shy when you first meet him. But that's me, too, of course. Well, that's a um, lot of us. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, but Damon thoroughly enjoys the company of others once he warms up and feels comfortable. Okay. Oh, how typical is that, right? Right. <laughs> Damon's favorite activity right now is playing video games. Well, what, what kids else? is it? He's 13. <laughs> right. Uh, but he is open to trying new things, and that's what's important. Right. If you take nothing else out of this, this is what's important. Right, he likes right. to try new things. Uh, he used to play fa- pl- Okay. F-L-A-G, flag football, right? and enjoyed that very much. He would benefit from a supportive family that could expose him to different types of activities because he likes to try new things Yes, and sometimes be outside of the house. Um, he's in the fifth grade uh, this academic year, and his teachers report that he has a great relationship with other students. Uh, Damon is legally freed to be adopted and would thrive in a home with at least one male caregiver. Right. He has the potential to be the most successful in a family that can provide him with structure, routine, and predictability. Any interested family should also be willing to allow Damon to have ongoing contact with his maternal grandparents 
as they're extremely important. To and him. kids have those connections, and of it's they important do. to know. Um, and and just to remind people, when we say things with at least one male caregiver uh, in a home with uh, a female or or no males, or you know, yeah. these are clinical. Uh, a lot of clinical assessment goes into it, making it, these determinations, right? Right. I mean, right. you're on the other end of it where you're putting profiles in, and you've got all of the notes. Right. We don't say it lightly. We say it so that people have. No, uh, expectations takes, that are realistic. Yeah, this right? takes this, these are words probably a lot of this from a therapeutic point of right, view. Right. Um, so great. Well, he has a great video. Yeah. Um, I think he's playing baseball, right? I think he's with his worker. Oh, and, in the video, uh, he's playing baseball. Or playing football, maybe out in the front yard. And yeah, you mean you could, FLAG football. FLAG flag, football. I think he's flag. playing pass. I'm okay. going to say pass. I'm okay. not the one to make an assessment of All that, right. but uh, yeah, no. So great. So check out four one nine three. All right. Who else do we have today? Okay. So we've got Carmela. She's age eleven. Her number is six six two one. And um, she said, my dream is to become an Olympic gymnastics. Good. Um, she's of African-American descent, and she describes herself as funny and silly and talkative. All right. She is athletic, and she enjoys activities like gymnastics, right. basketball, and soccer. Her favorite gymnastics, her favorite gymnastics. Gymnast, sorry, I apologize. <laughs> I'm trying to look at. I'm looking at and going. How do you say that word? Her favorite gymnast, gymnast is yeah. Gabby Douglas and Simone Biles. Okay, we and know who they are. Yeah, I do. I I can actually see their faces as I'm talking about them. And her favorite basketball player is LeBron James, and I can picture him too. Okay, good. Uh, Carmela loves uh, basketball, gymnastics, videos on YouTube, and she often reads chapter books about her favorite sports. That's good. Yeah. And some of the other activities she enjoys are painting and listening to music. Typical. Typical, yeah. Mm -hmm. She also loves animals, uh, especially Maltese dogs. And when she grows up, Carmilla wants to become an Olympic gymnast, an actress, or a teacher, or a doctor. Those I, are I all, that. Any pick anyone from that list. Yeah, yeah, Those are all fantastic goals. From one extreme to the other, right. she's game for, for either of any of those um careers. She is also legally freed for adoption and would thrive in a family that has previous parenting experience and is recommended that Carmilla be placed in a home with two parents. Again, this is probably her clinician making suggestions uh, because a two-parent home uh, where she is the youngest or the only child, excuse me, would be in her best interest. Right. Somebody's Uh, thought a lot about that, right? right. When we get to that point, somebody's thought a lot about Mm -hmm. that. Interested families will need to be willing to maintain relationships Carmela has with members of her birth family. Okay. But that's not, again, not unusual. And and we try and make sure that all that stuff is out there up front so people have reasonable expectations, right? Yep. And remember, Carmela's number is 6621. All right, Mo. Well, for anyone interested in learning about these kiddos, um, I'll remind them what the process is like. You can visit us on marink.org. Call us at 617-964-6273. Attend an event. It's always a great way to get information. So thanks for joining me, Mo. It's been educational, and of course, you know, we always have so much fun. We're going to take a little break, and then we'll be back with our special guest, Mary Viano from PAL. Be right back. Welcome back to Adopt Ed. 
This is our Adopt Talk segment where we get to meet community members who are involved in the foster care and adoption process. Joining me today is Mary Viano, Associate Director of Parent Professional Advocacy League, or PAL. Parent Professional Advocacy League is a statewide grassroots family organization founded in 1991 that advocates for improved access to mental health services for children, youth, and their families. Welcome, Mary. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Good. Well, I, um, for full disclosure, I want to just tell people that you and I have known each other for probably well over a decade and a half or, or more. Um, and in that time, you've had a lot of roles with PAL, including your current role as um, Associate Director. Tell me a little bit about your background and history with the organization. So it was really interesting. When I um, first came to PAL, I was a family that was looking for resources myself and trying to find and navigate the maze for both children's mental health and I think just um, supports and access and information. Mm -hmm. um, and I actually was across the street from PAL for about seven years before somebody let me know that, that they, they existed. Were <laughs> they were, were there, they existed, and really came to PAL because for three things, it was free. Um, it was insurance blind, so I could get immediate support right. and access. And then the third thing was was meeting a parent like myself that was going through the journey. Um, and that was a, it just an important piece of, of my that's steps and why we so, did it. But that's so important in every aspect of this work. You know, we talk about things like adopted families together and, you know, having somebody, uh, whatever it is, whatever the thing is that you want more information about or connection to, having somebody who also speaks that language, super important. Right. I mean, Very that's important. where a lot of the resources come from. It's really important. I think the piece that often is is forgotten about is that everybody has colleagues in multiple levels of field. So the pediatricians talk to the pediatricians. Right. The parents need to talk to the parents. It's important. Um, it's huge. Yeah. Yeah. And every aspect of the work. And so um, so I know from uh, my work with your agency that you have three main areas of focus. Right. So advocacy, family support and youth voice. Correct. Tell me a little bit about how that work happens. Let's start with advocacy. So advocacy is really um, not only in our name, but it's really the family business that we have. Um, we're a family organization with grassroots. And I think one of the pieces that we find in advocacy is that often people do not know what the reality is on the ground. Right, so they right. don't know what is um, helpful, what is sometimes harmful, mm -hmm. what isn't working, what is working. Um, and also to just have a very individualized um, approach to family. Families. Right, right. Um, and I think that is huge in kind of our advocacy. We go all the way from the legislative advocacy, which is very important to us in policy. And very formal. It is very formal. And it's it's also based within relationships and, and having one-on-one um, -on -one conversations on what possibly needs to shift. And we know culture doesn't shift fast right, right. within policy work. Yeah, no, so for sure. It's, it is something that um, we have to sit down and sometimes just brainstorm and be able to collaborate together with, with the um, political um, group that's there and also policy holders. Um, the second piece of advocacy we do is that really just trying to find access for services. So whether it's education, whether it's mental health support. Sure. Um, I don't want to forget that that our, many of our families have siblings. Um, so sibling support is extremely important. Right. Because um, the families impact isn't just the child and not just the parents, right. but it's families. Right. Right. And people within families. So when, and often it comes, education is kind of the first step, right, that has okay. our young people. So education sometimes can come in that. And when we talk about educational advocacy, we're really looking at what does the child need to do to be successful? Okay. That at the end of the day, they're children, they're not just students. So we want to embrace the fact that it's a whole child, whole family, whole community. So for a kiddo who uh, may have an IEP in place for intellectual disabilities, there perhaps is a mental health or emotional 
piece to that as well, right? Right. And that's where you can help to kind of inform parents or guide the process in, in some way. Is that right. fair? That is. That's accurate. And I would say that one of the pieces that we do do in that is we educate that ADHD, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, mm-hmm. actually falls under health. But there's other pieces that would fall yeah. under social, emotional, like anxiety, mood disorders. Right. Um, we also have to look at, at trauma and, and what youth and, and um, children have gone through to be able to give them the best support. So Trauma is just, it's to, such an important and impactful piece. And, and it intersects with so many things, right. so many things in this world, right? So um, I think that trauma piece is super important. Family support, another area um, beyond just the IEP education kind of stuff. Correct. Um, you work directly with families too, right? To kind of we help work them... With- we do. Navigate the system. We're working with uh, all families. And I say, you know, that could be uh, parents. It could be grandparents, aunts and uncles, foster parents, adopted parents. Um, however, that makeup of kind of guardianship is looked at yep. to create a parent peer-to-peer. We really believe that a parent peer-to-peer is extremely different than a youth peer-to-peer. Yes. So it's looking at and dealing with what they know, what they don't know, and getting to them, getting them to a place that I often say that we see it in three phases. We see a beginner parent. Mm-hmm. We see an advanced parent and then we see the crisis parent and if right, you're in crisis right. you forget what to do on yes. every given day including myself and i've been in this field is i was is, just, you and i have gone back and forth yeah. i mean when you're in crisis everything is at the beginning it's again. hard and you know i was just uh maureen uh who you met on the way in who mm-hmm. um did the opening of the show with me uh and who's my co-worker you know she and i were speaking earlier about all of the manifestations and i said you know i'm a parent who I used Joni Mitchell's song, right, um, and uh, and really was talking about you know uh, looked at clouds from both sides now, right, right. But I I have been a parent who didn't have to deal with this, who lived in crisis, and who has come out the other side, and now has a reflective lens looking in the other direction, and that's a very different place. If you had asked me at different points on that journey, correct, I would have told you very very different things about how I was feeling. Right. about the whole process, right? And and we see that. I think we meet families where they're at. I think the most mm-hmm. important piece is meeting families where they're at, hearing, validating that this isn't about them. Sometimes it's right. the family member. I mean, right. I think that's extremely hard. And the piece that we also go in is um, a people first. We talk their language and we teach them the language of what's happening in the so community. So important. Yeah. And I think that's a lot. Like we have mentors and mentees mm-hmm. that we connect. That's kind of like that same program. If somebody was trying to contextualize what you're talking about who's experienced our mentor-mentee program, we do the same thing. Try and match people where they're at with resources that are most appropriate to help them kind of be able to understand and speak the language, right? right. And that's that, that piece. And then um, Youth Voice. So Youth Voice is huge. I think one of the pieces you'll find with family organizations is, um, you know, it, it's kind of funny because people laugh when I say that family-driven is a Google definition. You can Google it. You can find out the right, definition, right. as is youth-driven. And we really, truly believe and we want to be able to model both with families and with the um, professionals in the community that we want the youth to be in the driver's seat. And sometimes right. we want them in the passenger seat yes, with us that, at 12 or 14 mm-hmm. because their voice matters and their buy-in matters to really when we talk about just even detecting what's going on, preventing what could come in the future, that it's it's often, I think, um, mind-boggling to me that in everything that we've done, we forgot sometimes about the brain. Right, and the brain right. is important and everybody has different ways that they handle that. So we want the youth to tell us what's working what's not working what they don't understand what they do understand and it's not often and I think this is an important piece to remember it's not about the abundance of services you have it's the right service for the yeah the family. good match yeah. it's it's finding it the right match. match and and that changes over time you know one thing uh so I'm with you on all of that um 
I use my son Malcolm, who comes out, and, and I'm sure you've probably met out and about in the community, who mm-hmm. is my um, now 24-year-old who came to me at four, who is PTSD, RAD, ODD, um, you know, autism, uh, you know, just the alphabet soup goes on and on and on was very challenging and um one thing that we always advocated for was his voice including through those teen years when you know you are a person first and you are experiencing the same thing that chronologically everyone else is experiencing and then there are other things that go beyond that right when we talk about mental health oftentimes we forget that you are a person first right right and so teens can be all over the place and Mm -hmm. sometimes it was okay for him to be in the driver's seat during those teen years and sometimes he needed to sit in the passenger seat right but one thing i would never trade is and i say this all the time having uh having paid attention to the specific needs gave him a far better outcome than ignoring it first of all second of all having him be in the driver's seat even sometimes meant that as an adult he's now an independent adult living on his own able to manage very diverse needs in a way that's pretty independent and having a really good quality of life. And I attribute that to the fact that he was sometimes in the driver's seat and sometimes in the passenger Mm -hmm. seat. And managing that is hard. It is hard. It's so hard. And I I think the piece also that you probably noticed with your son is that this is kind of... um, an inclusive piece, right? He at times wanted you involved and at times he didn't want you involved. And it's going through this back and forth, but we know in national data shows, if families are involved, the outcome is better. Right. So that doesn't mean that it has to be full again, you're taking over the the driving, but it means that you're involved. And I think the quality of life that you're giving, just in talking about knowing you as a person, but I think what we try to really set up with families is is that our young people deserve to have longstanding families. And they don't have to live with them as adults. Right. But the reality is, is that there always is going to be this connection. But it's a lot of work. And it I and I bring work. that up because I um, so, as you know, I'm also, uh, you know, I do work supporting families sometimes outside of my, my mayor role. And, um, you know, and I meet families who are in the crisis point And I think, OK, first of all, I know where you're at. And I say to them, I know where you're at. But then I also think about where my mind was at that point. You could have told me all the beautiful stories in the world. And when you're dealing with day in and day out major crisis, there's there's nothing that's going to make you feel better. Yeah, it might be good to have a good role model. So I think you're back to your original point, matching right. people at the stage that they're at with people who can be helpful and with because I can tell you good outcome stories and, and mm-hmm. I hope that when people pay attention, they have good outcomes. And I know plenty of families who have good outcomes right. because they paid attention, whose children are in far better positions than they would have been had attention not been paid to these things. Mm -hmm. But you don't want to hear, you know, while your kid's in major crisis, you don't want to hear, oh, you know what, 10 years from now, things will be great. Right, it's just... It doesn't help. No, it doesn't. Doesn't help. It doesn't, and I think that we also have to be really realistic of what families are going through. I mean, Mm -hmm. Pal supports many families, and we often get the question, do you support families? Because, again, we're free and we're insurance blind. Right, right. And that's just huge. But we get parents at multiple levels. So we have very highly educated parents that have graduated with college degrees, doctorates, and they are struggling to figure out how to get help. Right. And then we do have families that may be at a different level of income or different pieces that are there, that are struggling, but it's complicated for everyone. Everybody. And I think yeah. mental health in itself, there's the stigma and there's the acceptance and, and not acceptance <laughs> right. of what it is. Right. And I think one of the things that we really ni- need to pull back in is understand, again, that people are people and let's be human first. Sure. And I sure. think that one one message of, of kind of getting out there is that parents are going to go through ups and downs as young people go through ups and right, downs. Right. Everybody does. But, but how to bounce back. 
but you can you can match families right. and you can match youth, right? Yep. So you can you can make sure that they have that kind of support. And in that vein, um, you offer a number of trainings, right? We so do. tell me more about what that looks like. For example, like I know you have a very vibrant training schedule because I'm, right. I'm part of your distribution, sure. but um, what does it look like? What are the, what, you know, what kind of trainings do you offer? Are there standards throughout the year? You know, sure. So one of the things I would just mention is is that uh, as a family organization, and we've I've mentioned this a few times, um, all of our all of our trainings are free for families and youth. That's great. So we do not charge. So whether we're talking about the educational plans and we're talking about mental health right. and the IEP, which is the Individualized Education Plan, um, it's free for families. You're able to walk no, in and, and young adults and be able to make that connection. Um, so some of our parent trainings are, are mentioned that one. LGBTQ, really thinking about kind of what does that mean and how do we support as a right. family. Um, you know, again, going to just kind of the connection. Lots of specialty. A lot of specialty. Kind of work, yeah. What's interesting, Joe, about that too is our youth that identify as LGBTQ are trainers. Okay. So we're really looking hey, that's, at... <laughs> that's fantastic. It's a win-win situation. Not yeah. only are you being trained, but you have people there that have lived it and can tell you what works, doesn't work, and what they see kind of in the uh, community as well, right. which is huge. Um, then we get to a level where we actually train the um, police and first responders. So we do a training called the Police Pocket Guide, and we will give a guide that was made by families and professionals in the community. We're in our fourth version of that. I know. I can't um, believe that. I mean, but that's that's been huge because it's another area that was just lacking when you talk about community resource providers and really emergency it's huge. you know services providers it, that it, it, it was just a huge gap it goes back to your crisis piece and mentioning too when you know your child was in crisis or different pieces or my children were the reality of the emergency respondents having the knowledge well of what it looks like but also where do you give a parent I, a direction and i can tell you depending upon who I called upon for support and who happened to be available and, and able to support us on any given day meant that we had varying interactions. Mm -hmm. Some were fantastic mm -hmm. and some were absolutely deplorable. And, right. and so I think the more we can do to educate more people education. on this topic, it's just, it's so important. So, so I'm on your mailing list. I get to see all of your programming um, that you do. And so how can our listeners get added to the list? Want, so if want you talk go, about that? Sure. So if you go on our website, um, ppal.net, um, you can get right in. What's really interesting about that is that we offer something right on the front page. Um, you can sign up for our, our email list. We do an email blast that goes out once a month. I often say it's not a listserv, so people are not <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> information so you're immediately go there there's also a support group um a statewide support group list that you can get again free for for families um and professionals also we're it's in our name parent professional we want to offer the support yes we're parents with lived experience and we're professionals right. but we also want to offer this kind of tailored approach to both parents and professionals and the last thing i would mention that really is on our website which is important is that we do blogs so right. i often Ongoing write information. and my executive director lisa lambert will write blogs and it talks about the lived experience, but the piece that we offer is the youth do blogs. So if you've got a it's young so person important. as yeah. a parent, and I mean, Joe, you and I both know that for our kids, um, when my kid was maybe stuck, sometimes having a peer that was like them Or just somebody who they could look huge. at and say, I'm not alone. Right. Because that's a, that's a tough piece of it sometimes, right? right? The isolation that we sometimes feel as parents, we have to remember the kids sometimes feel that too. And you brought up an important point that I probably should have opened with, but PAL is statewide. Statewide. You support families 
everywhere. Everywhere. You have offices. <laughs> and I laugh because sometimes we get, because Massachusetts is such a progressive state, we get right. calls um, monthly from other states yeah. saying, what is going on in our state? How do we connect? What do we do? Right. So right. we are in the community. Um, we've got family support specialists in the community. So we, we hire people and give preference to people with lived experience and that have the ability to collaborate with professionals. We believe in collaboration. Yep. We believe in partnership for the best outcome of, of families and youth. But the, but the big piece that we really believe in is if we're going to have something that happens possibly in, in Boston, we want somebody that lives in Boston to right. understand. To make sure that you so have the huge. support there. But you have people out all over in the community. I mean, you know, Allie Weissman from MSPCC. Yep. And it's uh, I, we were together recently at a conference and in, in talking about the family resource liaisons, right. which people may be familiar with. Allie has been a guest here before. It, it's that same concept that you employ. They call, they check in with you, and then you match somebody from their community with you know, similar strengths, right? I mean, it's right. kind of that idea that you you find people to support people in their communities. And I think I think the piece that is that PAL offers too, that's just this unique piece, and I think we see it in the state and in the field a little bit, but sometimes it's hard to find, is there's the parent-to-parent match, right? right so going right. back to this parent peer-to-peer. The other piece is, is that we... We are advocates, so it's not a bad word, so let's figure it out, but I think sometimes we really get um, to the professionals or to families where they need the skills to learn. Yes, so we will yes. ally with them to get them to advocacy, and that's okay, so to be able to walk kind of together in that path. No, that's great. Exactly what you're saying. That's amazing. So so really, um, if I think learning about the organization and, and learning that it exists, I'm, I'm always impressed when um, people stand up and say, I don't know something. I feel like that, you know, whether it's mayor or it's PAL or it's any number of agencies that you and I both know, people from very well, that everybody knows about this. And I don't think that that's necessarily the case. I think that a lot of people know and a lot of people share um, so I think it's great to understand who you are and what you do and where people can access you. So it's statewide. You can get information on the website. You can get uh, signed up for uh, information about future trainings and and so forth. But um, but I, I'd like to talk a little bit about the nitty gritty, right? Today's sure. topic, I went into, uh, Maureen and I earlier went into just some, um, you know, high level overviews of the kinds of um uh, therapeutic and mental health kinds of issues that one might face when adopting from foster care, right? Okay. So yep. so things like, um, you know, uh, we educated them a little bit about transitional therapy versus ongoing therapy, and we talked about the DSM and why that's important and ADHD and RAD and PTSD and oppositional defiance disorder, anxiety, depression, so forth and so on. But from your perspective and working with families, Let's talk about the kinds of common issues. What are the most common issues that you support as an agency? Um, not that it would be limited to these, but but what do you really see as being the, the top needs that, that get presented? So some of the top needs that we're seeing is um, definitely access issues. So trying to know, again, going back to this piece, Joe, that you said, can't believe people don't know. And when you're navigating a new maze, oh my gosh. it is so difficult between the alphabet soup and not understanding what it means. Right. Also, what is going to be available and not available to you? Access is a huge piece. Sure. Side by side with that is insurance issues. Um, we often see that if you don't have this insurance or right. this carve out or this opportunity, um, you aren't going to be able to access the supports, and we really talk about preventative, right? We yeah, want to yeah. prevent and be able to teach and to support so that there's not this level of possible um, significant 
mental health that's coming. Right. And, and we can only do as much as we can do, but it's important with that preventative piece to be able to have the availability. And sure. within certain insurances, you're not going to have. The next piece um, really- Can I, can yeah, I stop sure. you there for a minute? Sure. Let me, can I do a follow-up on insurance? Sure. So. I know for many, many years. So um, I'm a MAP trainer. Were you ever a MAP trainer? I was. You was? Okay, I thought you were. I thought I remember that. So I did it for years and years. And one of the things we always told people was that children in foster care and children who were adopted carry mass health and that it was sort of this gold standard for access. And I know in many cases it was in my life and for my children. But, you know, I'm thinking about it in the context of what happened over the past year or two where we've had carve outs and mass health has gotten, you know, sent out to a number of um, uh, additional insurance companies who oversee pieces of the benefits. Mm -hmm. So is that still the same story? Should I tell that story differently in light of... Um, you know, all the changes that have been made within the mass health that the children use to access services, or is it still that same? So I think that that is extremely important. I'm glad you brought that up, Joe, because one of the pieces that we have to remember is that um, national kind of movement is is to pull the medical field and the behavioral health field together. So behavioral integration is going to happen whether people are (laughs) ready for it or not. But in Massachusetts, because we have had um, Senator Kennedy and many of the families that have politically pushed that insurance should be given to all children and all families, people should be insured. Um, We are kind of a few steps ahead, but in that it becomes very complicated. What I would love to remind families and remind people that are listening to this is they have a choice of their insurance carve out. They have a choice to get case manager if they're not getting certain coverage. It doesn't matter if it's private insurance or if it's Medicaid. But right now what we're dealing with the Affordable Care Act is is that there's a lot of changes. So just for my child, he had five different carve outs within a year, but he's 20 years old. That's impossible for him to navigate by himself. And even for me, as what I think is a specialized professional, it takes a lot of care coordination and follow-up phone calls. Yes. So parents have to understand that the access issue also, if you have certain insurances, you're going to be able to get certain services and not others. So going back to what you and Maureen talked about in like, it doesn't matter if it's medications, it doesn't matter if it's testing and evaluations, sometimes the insurances, because not everybody can afford what it takes right, with right. multiple children no, for sure. um, in the need. So I think the insurance piece is really key in knowing that you have a right to ask and you have a right to be able to be a part of what you choose okay. as a person. Um, and we are in, Pal is in ongoing conversations um, with the behalf, behavioral health sector sure, within Massachusetts sure. to say what's working, what's not working, and to kind of have the pulse of what's happening. But we are step ahead in, in many ways than other states, but we're catching some mistakes. Gotcha. And for me, I think with anything that comes, we noticed this with the Children's Behavioral Health Initiative, which was a Medicaid piece that right, came. Right. Sometimes you've got to figure out what doesn't work right so that it works better for families. Right. So the more families can reach out to PAL if they're having challenges, we are here, we want to walk you through. So if somebody has um, a, a, an adopted kiddo on Mass Health that was carved out to the Fallon wraparound, Correct. or they've got... You, you guys understand phone. that. You can help navigate. You can, and I'm hearing advocate for that caseworker, right? right? Make sure that there's somebody case managing things, right. right? That's a big piece. And every insurance, you know, I think this is, goes back to the alphabet soup. Every insurance causes something calls different. it something different, has so, a different name. So, but you guys have your finger on right. the pulse of that. We do. You can help people and, figure that out. You know, go to our website, um, call our, our phones, um, either in Boston or Worcester. Um, we try to live by giving calls back to families within 48 to 72 hours. Um, we sometimes are, you know, a human. Um, sure. We want you to email info at pal. Um, dot net, and that's another way. So we really have ways that people can get in Lots touch. Lots of ways that people right. can do that. 
okay. to make that next step. I took you kind of off your track. Do you remember your track? We were talking about insurance and we were moving down the road of, you know, talking about the nitty gritty and the most common issues. So Yeah, and the last one that I would just mention is is that education is a huge piece. Oh my God, so big. We have to and I welcome the opportunity that possibly and people hearing this podcast too um that i think that your agency our agency many agencies and professionals also want to have conversations with educators to be able to figure it out because though mental health is here that doesn't mean that there's been the initiatives within the public schools right so what can we do to make it easier for both the teachers um the professionals within the within the education system but also partner with families because great communication leads to family Community resources in general. I would include schools, emergency service providers, you know, um, even even partner agencies. I've always been a big believer in building bridges between agencies. I mean, part of the overarching work that we've had is um, I led the Worcester West Area Advisory Mm -hmm. Board for a number of years. You're on uh, Hyde Park. Boston Hyde Park. Yeah, Boston Hyde Park. Right. Building these bridges, you know, where where I can see sometimes where, um, you know, people might compete for funding or might have the same intentions. Organizations like yours and mine, we're not competing with no. anybody. And there's nope. no reason we can't have these bridges. So my hope is that um, today, you know, uh, learning more about what you do, that we're bringing these resources to people mm-hmm. and using our, you know, collaborative um, uh, lists of distribution and, fi- you know, just finding new ways to meet people and get people information. I think that's such an important piece. And um, it's and- key. And, and I would one of the pieces I just want to add, um, Joe, I think the, the pieces that we also bring in is if it's a if a child that's homeless, if it's a child that has been incarcerated, mm-hmm. if there has been pieces within the juvenile justice system that have been really challenging, we want to hear from those families because we're in it for the long haul that right. no family should be left alone. Right. So if we're not the right agency, and I know that you guys do this within Merit's well, if you're not the right agency, you want to we'll get that family to another. We'll help you figure out where you need to be. Where to go. Yeah, like we're really, and sure. I think that, and the other piece that I would mention is um, one piece that's really close and dear to our heart besides the juvenile justice and some of the homelessness transition age youth that we talked about is the LGBTQ community. Because so important. that is something that yeah. we're really working, again, to be able to support. Because if you feel accepted and you feel heard, it doesn't matter where that connection is, but really right. for that community and others, then your outcome is better. But there's so much intersectionality there. You know, I sit with the Mass Commission on LGBTQ Mm -hmm. youth, and there's a whole homelessness task force. And, you know, while on the surface that's about youth homelessness, there's also a plug into DPH, into DCF. So Department of Public Health, Department of Children and Families. I'm trying to use less acronyms, Right. right, and explain everything. There's also the piece that overarches to mental health, and there's the piece that, you know, overarches to uh, insurance barriers. And there's in any population, there's so much intersectionality, and I think that's so important. Well, um, you know, I can't believe that uh, our time is coming to a close, but what else would you like for people to know about your work? What have we missed? What did I forget to ask you? I think the piece that I am just thinking about as we were talking is, is that I really look at PAL as a network. Um, you come in, you get to know PAL, we help you with a few pieces, maybe you go away for a few years, right. and then you're going to come back because something's just not right and you need another ear, maybe there's a crisis, maybe there was an onset of a mental illness sure. or mental health, and I think that the network doesn't go away. So I often look at it as we're a tree. You know, We talk about the village and the community, right, right. but that's something that we're there and we're able to support. And the other piece is, is that we really want the systems to to know what families are going through. So if you're having... Take that voice right, and carry it voice, forward. and Voice, yeah. and because again, sometimes it's just the way that communication happens and you need to be restarted right so you know think about it as a a network you know we don't need to call every every day right um for the next six years but the reality is is keep us as long as you need us and know that we're in your plug plug back in as you need to well thank you for joining me 
Mary, I'm sure that many of our listeners appreciate your time, as do I, and your perspective on mental health support. If folks want information about your organization, they can find you on the web at ppal.net or call your office at 617-542-7860. Correct. And I would also add the Worcester office, 508-767-9725. That's where our main family support comes out for the whole state. Great. And uh, if our listeners want more information about any of our topics today, including how to become an adoptive parent, please visit us at mayorinc.org or call 617-964-6273. If anyone has show ideas, topics, or feedback, please email me at joes at mayorinc.org. And don't forget to look for our show next month where we'll discuss more adoption-related topics and meet new and interesting guests. This has been Joe Sandigato for Mayor. Thanks for joining us.